Ronald Reagan would see that as utterly providential, as an amazing thing. You know, in a sense, if there's one thing that the Soviets and Reagan agreed on, <laughs> it was how vitally significant that choice of a, of a Polish pope was, which is why for Reagan, he immediately knew that he had to reach out to this pope and make him an ally if Reagan were to become president. And it's why the Soviets decided they needed to reach out to him and put a bullet in his chest. That voice you just heard there was Paul Kangor. He's professor of political science at Grove City College, also the executive director for the college's Center for Vision and Values. And he's joining us today here on Radio Free Acton to talk about his brand new book, A Pope and a President, John Paul II, Ronald Reagan, and the Extraordinary Untold Story of the 20th Century. Uh, Paul will be with us in just a few moments here on Radio Free Acton. Thanks for joining us today. Here on the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty, my name is Mark Vandermoss. It's always my pleasure to be your host here on the podcast. And uh, and while we're talking about Paul Kengor, you might want to join us. Uh, mark your calendars. He's, he's going to be coming to town on October 10th here in Grand Rapids. He'll be joining us for an Acton on Tap event at the Knickerbocker at New Holland Brewing. Uh, if you're familiar with downtown Grand Rapids, it's a beautiful new facility up on Bridge Street, and we'd love to have you join us, so uh, mark that down on your calendars. You can check it out for uh, times and addresses on our events page here at Acton. Go to acton.org events. And uh, by the way, you can also register there. We believe there's still some seating available for our Acton Lecture Series event this week, Thursday, which will be tomorrow, so get on this quick. Uh, Molly Hemingway is coming to town. She is uh, from the Federalist, of course, uh, and uh, she's going to be talking about uh, the media, about fake news. The title of her lecture, Crisis of Credibility, the Promise and Peril of Media's Lost Authority. That's September 28th, right here at the Acton Building in downtown Grand Rapids, Michigan. Doors open up, uh, actually, the event, doors open up at 11. The event starts at noon, and we'd love to have you join us. So head over to acton.org events, acton.org slash events, I should say. And uh, sign up for that one as well. Uh, Bruce Edward Walker is back. We basically uh, kind of store him away in a little uh, in a little uh, spot under the stairs here at Acton. And uh, he comes out every once in a while and uh, records an interview for us. He basically lives here now. He's going to be talking with James Homan, policy director at the Mackinac Center. Uh, and they're going to talk about the recent release of Stephen King's It. And also Darren Aronofsky's Mother, uh, two films in theaters right now. And we'll be talking about those on Upstream. So... Without further ado, let's get away from me yapping, and we'll uh, head over to Carolyn Roberts, who's going to be talking with Paul Kengor right here on Radio Free Acton. My name is Caroline Roberts, producer of Radio Free Acton, and I'm here in the studio and I have Paul Kengor, professor of political science at Grove City College and executive director of the Center for Vision and Values at Grove City College with me on the phone today. Thank you very much for coming in, Paul. Sure, Caroline. Thanks. Today, we're going to be talking about Paul's new book, A Pope and a President, John Paul II, Ronald Reagan, and the Extraordinary Untold Story of the 20th Century. Um, this book, Paul will be talking about on a new Acton on tap. He will be coming to Grand Rapids to talk about um, this new book at the Knickerbocker starting at 6 p.m., um, for which you can register at acton.org slash events. All right, Paul, so how... 
did you first become inspired to write this story or what drew you to talk about John Paul II and Ronald Reagan? Well, Caroline, I had been researching the topic for a long time. I mean, I really started filing FOIA, Freedom of Information Act requests, back in the year 2001 at the Reagan Library. And at that time, that was my first trip to the Reagan Library. And it it resulted in a, a couple of early books on Ronald Reagan. One was called God and Ronald Reagan. The other was called The Crusader, Ronald Reagan and the Fall of Communism. And I had I had uh, material on John Paul II in, in both of those books. But I just, over time, I, I learned more. I heard more. People told me additional things. I learned a lot of, you know, frankly, in, in all honesty, some shocking things I didn't expect to learn. And, and just slowly over a period of about 10 years, um, really 2005 through, um, you know, about when I finally decided to finish the book and do the book, uh, I decided that I had to write this book. I had to tell this story, not only because of the, you know, truly remarkable relationship and what these two men did together, but especially as I learned things like uh, common, you know, kind of common spiritual interests between the two. Uh, Ronald Reagan even had an interest in Mary. That uh, that is something that I didn't expect. Uh, you know, Mary is in the mother of Jesus. And and probably the thing that, that, that really did it and, and convinced me I had to pursue this and report it and tell people about it. But when when I learned that uh, that Ronald Reagan and his closest advisors, men like Bill Clark at the NSC, Bill Casey at the CIA, that from the beginning they suspected, strongly suspected, that the Soviets were involved in the shooting of Pope John Paul II. That was something that um, I knew that people didn't know. And then I would find out, too, that not only did they suspect that, but Bill Casey did a super secret internal investigation in his agency, which I'm told was spearheaded by two women, fairly young, one one in her late 20s, other early 30s, other probably early 40s, where they concluded in a report that still to this day has never been released. Um, they concluded that, yes, the Soviets were behind the shooting of John Paul II, and uh, specifically through the Soviet GRU, military intelligence. So as I started learning things like that, I I realized that I I had to tell this story. Wow. So would you say that this book is almost a compilation of investigative work? Yeah, it definitely is. And I mean, it is well, it's 648 pages. I turned in a manuscript of uh, 340,000 words, <laughs> which is uh, the longest uh, manuscript that I've ever done, and I've and I've written some 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 long ones. So it was it was kind of hard. the t- The toughest thing about about writing this book, Caroline, was knowing where to start, where to finish, how much of the story to tell, especially because, I mean, the first part of the book is about the Bolshevik war on religion, you know, the communist persecution of religious people that that so upset Ronald Reagan and Carol Wojtyla, you know, which was really the reason, uh, you know, one of the reasons above all that, that Ronald Reagan referred to the Soviet Union as an evil empire. So, you know, when you're telling the story of, of the Bolsheviks blowing up churches 
and killing priests, Russian Orthodox, Roman Catholic, uh, countries in the Eastern Bloc, Protestant priests, uh, you know, Catholic priests, and putting nuns in special sections of the gulag with prostitutes and deeming them whores to Christ. Uh, you just don't even know where you don't even know where to stop with with something like that. So that was um, that was probably my most difficult task was knowing where to start and and where where to stop. Simply that part of the story. In a sense, no book could do that justice. It'd have to be like a like a multi-volume, you know, five one thousand page works. Before you're even, you know, touching the tip of the Siberian iceberg when it comes to persecution of the church by communists. Wow, <laughs> that is a lot. Um, for the specifically relationship between John Paul II and Ronald Reagan, were, do you say that their relationship grew as a result of having a similar worldview? Yeah, 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 definitely so. And, and I mean, there's a number of different things here. So, so first of all, you know, Ronald Reagan was just you know, shocked like everybody else, but in his case, you know, very pleasantly so. When, of all things, the you know, the College of Cardinals met in October 1978, and they picked the first non-Italian pope in 455 years, the first Slavic pope ever, and and they picked him flat right out of the heart of the Soviet communist bloc, Poland. And, you know, Ronald Reagan would see that as utterly providential, as an amazing thing. You know, in, in a sense, if there's one thing that the Soviets and Reagan agreed on, <laughs> it was how vitally significant that choice of a, of a Polish pope was, which is why for Reagan, he immediately knew that he had to reach out to this pope and make him an ally if Reagan were to become president. And it's why the Soviets decided they needed to reach out to him and put a bullet in his chest. But but what what really did it for Reagan was the the nine day trip that John Paul II made to Poland, June second to eleventh, nineteen seventy nine, when when he chose for when his first foreign trip would be to his homeland of Poland. And I talked to Richard V. Allen, who was Reagan's national security advisor at the time, and he told me he and Reagan were at Reagan's house in California. They were talking about foreign policy. Reagan was planning a run for the presidency again in 1980. And they took a break and turned on the evening news to – they caught footage of John Paul II at his Polish homeland, audiences of hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people, you know, a million people lined up for mass to receive communion. And Alan told me, he said, I looked at Reagan, and there were tears in his eyes. And, and he said, that's it, that's it, that's it. The Pope is the key, the Pope is the key, the Pope is the key. He said, he said, Dick, we, you know, we've we've got to find a way to get elected. We've got to reach out to this pope, and we've got to make him an ally. And and Reagan at that point, well, he had, he had told Dick Allen two years earlier. He he said, Dick, my idea of foreign policy toward the Soviet Union is this simple: we win and they lose. Now, what do you think about that? So so Reagan needed to find a way to win. And of all things, for the Roman Catholic Church to pick a Polish cardinal as pope, you know, Reagan saw that as absolutely, you know, divine. Part of the DP, as Bill Clark, as other close put, 
other close aide put it, the divine plan, providential. So, so for Reagan, that was key. And then to really, of all things, um, and this is probably the heart of the story that I tell in the book, when, when Ronald Reagan and John Paul II were both shot just six weeks apart. Everybody remembers they were shot. Everybody forgets it was six weeks apart. March 30th, 1981 for Reagan, May 13th, 1981 for John Paul II. And they both should have died. They both should have bled to death. And so when they finally came together, after wanting to meet from the opening days of Reagan's presidency, when they finally came together at the Vatican, June 7th, 1982, and they met one-on-one for about an hour in the Vatican Library, they said to one another that they believed that God had spared their lives for a special purpose, which they believed was to work together to take down and defeat Soviet communism. Wow. Do you think that in terms of how important this relationship was in history for the Pope's job and the presidency, would you say that this is a relationship that we're just beginning to understand how important it is? Or at the time of um, the presidency, was the public aware of how important this relationship was? Well, that's a good point. I, I I think a lot of people did have a sense at the time how important it was. Um, I, I think what my book shows is that it's even it was even more significant than people realized, and um, you know that and that's one of the reasons why I couldn't walk away from this project, even as it was hard to do and 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 hard to write because I didn't know where to start, where to where to stop. But it was, um, it, it, I mean, if you ask most most people, Caroline, if you say, name for me. Um, the top five or six people responsible for the collapse of communism. Reagan and John Paul II are always going to be on that list. Um, Margaret Thatcher will be there too. Lech Walesa, Vaclav Havel, um, Mikhail Gorbachev should be on that list too. Uh, you know, liberals always put Gorbachev on there. Conservatives sometimes are a little bit more stingy about that. But but you know, those two should be on anybody's short list. But the extent to which they were going along parallel tracks and committed themselves, you know, their teams, if you will, at the Vatican and at the White House to this mutual objective of taking down and destroying the deadliest, most vicious atheistic empire ever to exist, uh, I think that's something that that people still you know, don't really fully understand, but, but hopefully with, with my book, it, it'll help. Yes, definitely. I completely agree. And it, it sounds like you have done an incredible amount of research. Um, and this will be a very informative book. Um, you can hear Paul at Acton on tap at the Knickerbocker in Grand Rapids, um, for which you can register at acton.org slash events. Thank you for coming on the show today, Paul. Oh, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to coming to Grand Rapids and seeing all of you. I, I just love the Acton Institute and Father Sirico and everybody up there. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, this is Caroline Roberts, and you're listening to Radio Free Acton. I'm here 
the studio to sit down with Paul Bonicelli, the Director of Programs and Education at the Acton Institute. And we're talking about a new conference series here starting on October 19 called Education and Freedom. Paul, what can we expect from this conference? Well, it's a conference where we want to apply Acton's principles about personal liberty and the marketplace to the problem of education. And um, it's uh, high time someone, we think, uh, looked at the need for reforming education uh, in terms of personal liberty, parents, families, and even the states to be out from under the, the burden of the federal government sort of micromanaging everything. What top speakers can we hear at the event? We have uh, two sessions at this event. In the morning is uh, dedicated to K-12 education, so uh, Dr. Catherine Pakalik of the Catholic University of uh, America will be here presiding over that panel. Uh, we'll have uh, at least four panelists. Uh, they're each going to deal with legal issues, financial issues, curriculum issues, uh, Mackinac Center will be here, Institute for Justice will be here, uh, and then we'll have practitioners, people who are actually doing uh, alternative forms of education at the K-12 level. In the afternoon, we'll focus on higher education. Uh, Dr. Tom Lindsay of the Texas Public Policy uh, Foundation will be with us, uh, and we'll have Richard Vetter uh, of The Ohio University, one of the best-known um, researchers and authors on higher ed reform. We'll also have um, uh, a focus on core curriculum, uh, as well as a focus on trades education with some practitioners, again, people who actually run institutions that teach trades education as an alternative to everyone getting a bachelor's degree. How can our listeners register for this event? They can go to acton.org, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G, uh, and for our events, there's a tab there for that. Uh, and this is really for anybody that is concerned about education as a public policy issue, but of course also teachers, administrators, uh, graduate students, others that are focused on this as their profession as well. All right. Thank you very much, Paul. My pleasure. Hello and welcome to Upstream. I'm your host Bruce Edward Walker and today I'm talking with James Holman who is a policy analyst at the Mackinac Center for Public Policy in Midland, Michigan. And we are going to be discussing a couple of horror movies that uh, we've seen uh, recently. And we're doing this, we're recording this from the tobacco shop in downtown Midland. So uh, we're enjoying a breakfast cigar and a cup of coffee while we're talking about the movie It and the movie Mother, lowercase m, exclamation point. So um, let's get started. I, I mean, uh, we pretty much know where each other falls on both films, but uh, I'll let you get started, James. Tell, tell me a, a little bit about uh, your, your take on It. So It was kind of a mediocre movie. Like, there are parts that I really liked, but for a horror movie, it, it just didn't work for me. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was a terrifying concept, scary images. Why wasn't I scared? So you're saying, in terms of mediocrity, it was pretty mediocre. <laughs> I mean, I guess like there, there were some great parts to it. The kids are a lot of fun. You, you kind of uh, like them, even though they're all kind of jerks. Um, but when they start getting, you know, beset on by a demonic clown, you're not always that scared. Outside of a couple of jump scares that they did. Right, and uh, I, I, as you well know, 
kind of fell asleep in a couple of parts of the film because I, I just found it to be uh, a not very scary and b extremely cliche. If you're familiar with Stranger Things or if you're familiar with uh, Stephen King's earlier works like Stand by Me, uh, been there, done that, seen it, and. Um, have the T-shirt to prove it. So I, I really saw no point whatsoever in in the whole exercise. It just seemed like a millions of dollars thrown down uh, a well. So I'm I'm going to push back on that a little bit, just because I don't think it's it's fair to say, hey, we we've seen this before, because we actually like seeing the same things before a little different. You know, we we like being retold the same myths in different ways. That's a cool thing that happens. So judge it by its merits. And for that, there was a lot of merit to this movie. It was well produced, it was well acted. There were parts that did, did in fact grip you that you cared about these characters and these situations that you were in, even if you weren't all that scared. Well, and didn't you like Stranger Things? I, I enjoyed parts of Stranger Things, and uh, that's a topic for another podcast. But let's move along to um, everybody's favorite master of the Kabbalah, Darren Aronofsky. Uh, his new movie, Mother, lowercase m, exclamation point, is a troublesome film in that it is extremely pretentious, and it, it tries very, very hard to mimic, uh, say, Roman Polanski's uh, Repulsion and Rosemary's Baby and uh, it's kind of a confusing mishmash muddle of uh, annoying characters being extremely annoying and so um, and as you mentioned before uh, James you, you, you found some allegorical elements to the film and as did I and we, we made some remarks while we were watching it, to, probably to the annoyance of the three other people that were in the theater. But uh, go ahead, I'll, I'll, I'll let you speak to that. So it's not a horror movie. It is fundamentally an allegory. Like these are not characters, they're caricatures. They're here to play a role, a particular one. And to that point, the, the thing just completely falls apart. It's just when it isn't boring it's annoying and when it isn't annoying it's just disgusting oh absolutely and uh for for uh those of us who are who are christian it's it's also extremely offensive uh and not even christian but uh, judeo christian the uh the, the whole point of the film is javier bardem plays a poet and from that we are to read that he is the creator which means that he is God, and that his wife, because God has a wife, yes, and that that wife is Gaia, Mother Nature, and uh, it's time to cue the guess who new Mother Nature, because you know she she's getting it on, and uh, she becomes pregnant, and. Um, We'll, we'll spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk spoilers because you can't you talk should, about. And this you film. shouldn't watch this movie anyway. Yeah, you, you, we're we're talking about a movie that you can't discuss unless you present spoilers, and uh, you know they are beset upon by uh, guests that uh, God because the characters ha- none of the characters have any have real names, and God invites Ed Harris to come, and it turns out that Ed Harris, uh, in the course of uh, uh, overindulging in drink, 
is retching and uh, we, we see that uh, he has a huge bruise on his side which indicates that well maybe perhaps someone took out his rib and uh, so we, we know that he's Adam and okay and Eve shows up the next day and she is the queen of shrews played by Michelle Pfeiffer can we just stop here because I don't want to go in and try and reinterpret who's who's what because there's weird things that are there like floods and it's well, it's just well, a mess and it's not worth it because the allegory doesn't add anything to this. Well, it, you're you're correct in that it doesn't, but it's also in terms of allegory uh, is incorrect. I mean, considering that Aronofsky uh, directed a movie called Noah. In this movie, it's the people who caused the flood and not God himself. So uh, it's like, wait a minute, you, you kind of uh, uh, took a few shortcuts on the story here that don't really make a whole lot of sense. But, you know, they're, they're, I'm not the first critic to point this out, but there's uh, also a tip of the hand to Hieronymus Bosch and the Garden of Earthly Delights. Mm-hmm. But what we're supposed to uh, understand is that uh, people hu- are bad. People are bad. They, they are, uh, there are too many of us, and we are doing terrible things to the earth. So and, we, and we mess up everything, especially religion. Oh, yes. And uh, uh, Christianity comes in for uh, taking it on the chin uh, in the uh, climax of the film that uh, is actually repulsive and horrible. And I... I I'm not even going to give the spoiler to that because just to speak those words would, uh, you know, force me to go to confession. Yeah, it was awful. Don't watch Mother. Okay, well, um, you know, you can say this, that, and the other thing about uh, the the abuse of Christianity and uh, the 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 whole uh, people are a plague upon the earth type of aspects. But you know, I I will give credit for the cinematography. It was well done. Uh, the, the set design was phenomenal, and you know who doesn't love Jennifer Lawrence? She, she's she's uh, cute. She's she's real. Uh, she was filmed in a highly luminescent fashion. Uh, well, you know, considering that she's dating the director Darren Aronofsky, I guess that's not too terribly surprising. Yeah, and Javier Bardem does does okay, even though he doesn't really have a character, and you kind of hate him, just as you as as uh, Jennifer Lawrence plays someone that doesn't really have a character and you kind of hate her. Right, right. The, the characters are extremely flat. I mean, as, as the God character, as the creator, uh, Javier Bardem is uh, more or less indifferent to nature and uh, basically exists to uh, invite people into the house to adulate him and uh, you know sing his, sing his praises as a terrific poet. So my advice to, to listeners who have yet to see this film is to avoid it at all costs. I, I think it, it's um, offensive to uh, practicing Jews and Christians. I think it's, uh, in terms of storytelling, something to, uh, like Australian table wine, something to lie down and avoid. Yeah, yeah, there's, it, it was, again, it was, uh, it was boring for the most part, and when I wasn't, uh, wasn't bored, I was annoyed, and when I wasn't annoyed, I was kind of offended. Yes. 
Okay, well, that's it for this week's edition of Upstream. I'm talking to James Holman, who is a policy analyst at the Mackinac Center for Public Policy here in Midland, Michigan. We're sitting, having our breakfast cigar at the tobacco shop in Midland, and we will speak to you next week. That brings us to the end of another edition of Radio Free Acton. All good things must come to an end, uh, and uh, this, uh, this podcast is... No different than any other good thing. I uh, want to thank our guests before we sign off for the day. Paul Kangar, he is professor of political science at Grove City College, and you can find his new book, A Pope and a President, John Paul II, Ronald Reagan, and the Extraordinary Untold Story of the 20th Century. you find that on Amazon, other online retailers, maybe even at your local brick-and-mortar bookstore, but head on out, pick it up. It's a great book. And uh, thanks to James Homan for uh, joining Bruce Edward Walker on Upstream this week. Thanks as well to uh, the folks who worked on this episode. Daniel Menjavar did the editing this week. Uh, Carolyn Roberts produced uh, and both did fine work as usual. And uh, thanks to you as well for joining us here on Radio Free Acton, the podcast of the Acton Institute. If you have any questions about Acton, want to learn a little bit more about our work building the foundations of a free and virtuous society, a great place to start is at our website, www.acton.org. And uh, we will be back with more editions uh, in the future. Thanks for joining us today. We'll talk with you later, everyone. See ya.